Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. It's good to have you with us today. I'm going to read a passage from the Gospel of John. So we're finally stepping out of Luke. We've been there for a month or so. And now we're going to read uh, about an encounter Jesus has with Peter specifically, but the other disciples are nearby after his resurrection. John 21, verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Now it was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which you would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, so that's John, following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I thank you for your word, Jesus. I thank you for your ministry and your life. I pray, God, that as we are in the midst of the Christmas season, uh, considering this moment post-resurrection, Jesus, that you would speak to us about you and about us, that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So right before this encounter, Peter declares to his friends, to the rest of the disciples, he says, I'm going fishing. And this declaration sets the stage for the disciples to be in the boat uh, fishing. And these words, I'm going fishing, could mean anything. Maybe Peter was hungry. Maybe he was thinking about returning to his old job. There's a fair amount of speculation there that the disciples were so disoriented. They were like, man, I guess we should just go back to what we know best. And for Peter, that was fishing. Maybe he just wanted to do something he was good at after failing Jesus so miserably. I, I actually think that's probably what was happening. I can't prove it. But I think Peter was probably wanting to get back into his competency. He had felt uh, so disoriented. He had felt like a failure. He had denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus has died. Resurrection has happened. They don't understand what's happening, though. It's a really, really confusing time. And I think Peter just wanted to do something he was good at. And a lot of us feel that way when we're disoriented. You know, it's like you feel like a failure and then you think, what am I good at? And for Peter, that was fishing. So he gets out in that boat and he goes fishing, trying to be competent 
<laughs> and in a, such a twist of irony, right? If Peter's fishing in an effort to feel better, to feel competent, this fishing trip is not getting the job done. We're told right before the verses I read that they fish all night and they catch zero, not one thing. And then a stranger on the shoreline tells them to change their strategy, which is really weird. Now, we know now that that stranger is Jesus. They do not know this. Um, and imagine you are good at something and somebody that you do not know stands far off and says, hey, why don't you try it another way? Well, for whatever reason, they do listen to this stranger on the shore, Jesus turns out to be, and they catch a ton of fish. I think we're told like 150 something. At that point, when they catch the fish, John, the disciple Jesus loves, so the guy writing this story in John 21, he recognizes Jesus. He says, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And I just find it so interesting that they don't recognize Jesus until he engages them in a way that is uh, full of provision, full of care. And so they're struggling to get their heads around what's going on. But while they are working on it, Peter, in classic Peter fashion, just jumps into the water and begins to swim to the shoreline. And I love this. I mean, here at Renewing the Center, we, we've been thinking a lot together about what it, what it is uh, about Jesus that causes people to move toward him. Well, here we have Peter who had just massively failed Jesus. I mean, he had betrayed him, called down curses on himself. And yet when he hears John say, it's the Lord, his first instinct is to dive into the water and move toward Jesus. And when I think about my relationship to God, it's like I long to see Jesus clearly enough, so clearly that even my shame wouldn't keep me from him. And yet too often, and you're probably with me in this in some respect, our shame keeps us from Jesus. Peter's shame was overridden by his awareness of what Jesus would do for him. And I just love that. I love it about Jesus and I love it about Peter and there's a part of me that wants to be like Peter in this regard. I want to be a disciple who, in the midst of my failure, in the midst of my shame, doesn't allow my shame to keep me away from God. Shame is so isolating. Shame's design is to lock you away by yourself. And yet for Peter, who had behaved shamefully, that shame was just overridden by the presence of God. There's something about Jesus that taught Peter's heart that it was safe for him to dive in the water and move toward Jesus. So by the time Peter um, and the others arrive at the shore, Jesus has already provided breakfast. And, and this feels really important. This is actually the main thing I want us to hold today here in this episode. Um, Jesus gives Peter and, and James and John and the disciples a strategy for catching fish. He, he empowers them to catch fish. But it's not their fish that they consume at breakfast. Jesus has already got provision. By the time they get there with their haul of fish, Jesus already has fish and bread ready on the fire for them. And I just love it. Uh, this meal to me speaks of the provision of God. It, it, it speaks of the fact that even when I quote unquote am failing to bring something to the table or in the instances where I do bring something good to the table that Jesus already has provision. He doesn't need my fish. <laughs> he doesn't need yours. But he does want to empower you to be a person who bears fruit. Uh, when it comes down to being fed, Jesus has the food. 
And I just want to say that to you. I think that's important for us to hear. Maybe the most important thing for us to hear in this passage is that he wants to empower each and every one of us to bear fruit in our lives, and yet he doesn't need our fruit. He has fruit of his own. He has food of his own. And I just try to imagine what that meal would have been like. Um, Jesus had already gone ahead. And when I live my own life, so often I live as if it's all down to me. That's what got me in so much trouble a couple of years ago was living under this illusion that I was ultimately responsible for making everything happen. And that's an exhausting way to live. It's actually an unsustainable way to live. And what we see here is that even when the disciples are bringing something to the table, it's actually what Jesus brings to the table that feeds them. And I just want to say that's, that's just fundamentally universally true. Whatever it is you're bringing or not bringing, Jesus has something else. He wants to feed you. And speaking of feeding, this is where I want to leave it uh, because I think this is a powerful moment. Jesus and Peter have a complicated history. Um, they've been close for years, and Peter is somewhat hasty, somewhat impetuous, and he he had just failed uh, Jesus three times. We we talked about that and. Here's what happens here. Um, I'm not going to focus on the three questions and the three answers and the Greek language. I mean, there's a lot. There have been great sermons preached about this. Here's what I want to focus on. At some point in this interaction, Jesus takes Peter and they go for a walk on the beach. We learn from verse 20 that um, John was following Jesus and Peter. So that tells us that by the time Jesus begins to press into Peter's failure, he'd, he'd invited Peter to walk off down the beach, just the two of them, which I just love and think is so important because those questions that Jesus asks, they are questions that get at Peter's shame. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and Jesus asks Peter three times, so once for each denial about love. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's holding um, the candle close to Peter's heart. He is actually inviting Peter to reflect on the failure and the brokenness and the shame, but he doesn't do it in a way that is public. He doesn't do it in a way that's humiliating, but he does do it. He walks into close proximity to Peter's shame in order to heal him. And he does it just the two of them. And I just love it because if you don't stop and notice what verse 20 says, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. If you don't hear those words following them, you don't get the picture that Jesus is just walking down the beach with Peter. And yet that's exactly what he's doing. And in my own life, over and over and over again, um, I felt God gently walk me down the beach and help me confront my own shame and my own failure. Any life with God that doesn't confront your own failure is not a full life with God. And yet Jesus doesn't do it sitting around the fire in front of all the disciples. <laughs> he takes him down the beach. And I'm imagining for Peter that that would have been a very uncomfortable conversation, but not humiliating. If Jesus had had that conversation in front of the disciples, I don't know. Maybe it would have felt more humiliating. But what he does is he takes Peter off to the side and he goes straight to the source of the pain straight to the source of the failure. And he does so with love and with tenderness. And if you're anything like me, we spend a lot of energy, a lot of time trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid facing our failures. And I just want to say, Jesus will walk you down the beach. And I think it's time for us to walk on the beach with Jesus. 
as we approach a new year, which is full of opportunity for new beginnings, I believe that there's an invitation for us to do a bit of an audit. A looking back, you know, a bit of a reflection point on the highs and the lows of the last year. And part of that reflection should involve the places where we know we've fallen short, where we failed. Failed in relationship to people, failed in relationship to God. And I want to tell you that Jesus is the kind of God who will walk along that beach with just you, just him, and ask you some questions that will get you to places of reflection. And when he does so, he does so always, always, always with a heart to heal us, a heart to restore us, a heart to put us back in the game. Because that's exactly what happens to Peter. Peter goes from ashamed and disqualified to reengaged, to reinvigorated. I mean, so much so that... At Pentecost, which happens just a few days or so, weeks after this, Peter gets up and preaches the best sermon ever preached, you know, uh, the Pentecost sermon where thousands of people come to know Jesus, come to trust in the resurrected Jesus. But first, before he could do that, he had to face his own failure, his own brokenness, his own um, shame. God wants to help you and me do the same thing because it's hardest to heal. God bless you.